Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the main things that people say when they come through my door when they're bereaved is, am I going mad? Because grief can feel like madness. And part of my job is to normalize that these extreme feelings are completely normal and force you to adapt to this new reality that the person has died, that grief is an adaptive process. And actually, it's the things that you do to avoid and block the grief that often do you harm over your lifetime, but also over generations. Welcome to the new season of the Not Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie the author and founder of the award-winning app and best-selling book, Happy Not Perfect. This is our time to take a break and go within to unlock ourselves in a new way and stretch our thinking. Whatever you are going through right now, I welcome you into this conversation with a new inspiring thought leader each week to help us thrive, rise and realize our full truth and unlimited potential. As you might know, if you read my book, I'm passionate about us becoming flexible in our thinking. And that starts with some mind, body and soul healing. So let's dive in. Today, I am joined by one of the world's leading grief psychotherapists, a best-selling author twice over, and a true light in this world, having helped thousands of people process and cope with their loss of loved ones and the grieving process. Julia Samuel is the author of This Too Shall Pass and Grief Works, and excitingly is now the founder of the most brilliant new app, also called Grief Works. It is an amazing digital companion through the grieving process. It combines the best of Julia's work and puts it into an interactive experience. So no matter what time of day it is or day of the week, you have a place to go to cope with whatever you might be going through. If you are processing grief yourself, or perhaps you know someone who is grieving currently, I really recommend sharing Julia's app with them because it's full of tools and content that can really, really help. What is the favorite quote you return to often and why? I mean, I have lots depending on my internal weather, but probably the one that is a kind of very familiar rock is keep it in the day because, you know, your moods can change through the day. And depending if I'm in a very kind of scared, bleak mood, I can catastrophize and think I'm going to feel like this forever and projected into the future. So when I kind of take a breath, slow myself down, keep it in the day, it kind of lets me turn to the light that tomorrow can be a different day. And that in itself could just shift my mood just enough to kind of stop me spiraling. It's like a circuit breaker. So it can stop me kind of digging a trench into my own misery. And then I'll do something like make a cup of tea or do something comforting. And then you just do feel a little bit more balanced. And I think most of the time, what 
most of us are looking for is equilibrium, is some kind of balance. Of course, we get hit by moods and events and our own processes, and we try to surf them and then find a kind of settling within them. So lovely. So what we needed to hear, I think. (laughs) What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? That you just don't know what you don't know. You know, you talk about me as an expert on grief and I learn every single day. And I want to go on learning and having humility not to be right or get stuck in very dogged beliefs, but to stay curious and go on expanding and growing and learning by listening to others mainly or reading others, having different conversations, meeting you, having a conversation like this. Everything expands me a little bit and wanting to continue to do that, even in in my my ripe old age of 62. (laughs) What is your understanding of soul? I mean, I think the task of mourning, if you like, is facing the reality that the person has died. So the body doesn't work anymore. The body of this person, the physical body as you knew, then walking around, breathing, hugging, eating, is no longer present. And I think the soul is the nuggets of memories and experiences that live on in the people around them after they've died. And so I think if I'm talking about my soul as a living being, I would hope that I the kind of the most significant people in in my life that love me, that they would feel my kind of heart and soul in them that I love them. And that a way of talking about heaven is a way of remembering the person through loving them. I really love that beautiful definition and this idea that soul is something that we partake in we activate every single day by creating these memories right now in our daily lives that will forever live on I was reading your biography earlier this week and I found it your path has been so interesting because in a way the subject of grief kind of found you I guess when you were really young if you wouldn't mind expanding on this journey and why you felt compelled to begin what has become like a life work in exploring this area. Yes, I mean, I am the child of, of parents who were very significantly and traumatically bereaved before I was born. So by the time my mother was 25, her mother, her father, her sister and her brother had all died. And my father, his father and his brother had died by the same age. So they were the closest people in their lives and they were never talked about. So we learn about ourselves and our narrative through stories. And I was never told the stories of the people who had died. There were black and white photographs of of my uncle, not my father's brother, but my mother's brother who was killed um, in Arnhem in the war and my grandmother and my aunt, not my grandfather. So I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know any stories about them. But when I I started training as a therapist when I was 30, so like 32 years ago, even then when I look back at, you know, part of the work of training as a therapist, you have to look at your own history and your roots of attachment and what influenced you to become a therapist. Even then, I kind of didn't really realise that 
I was leaning towards grief because of my own unvoiced stories. And I think that I was unconsciously looking to make sense of things that I couldn't make sense of when I was a child, that I was always much more interested in what was going on inside people than what they were saying or what they were showing. And, you know, we, we as a, you know, I adored my parents and my siblings. I, I still adore my siblings. But we never had conversations about things that mattered. We talked about everything that didn't matter. So, or had no kind of real meaning because they were both traumatized and they couldn't talk about the, you know, trauma is silent. It lives silently, invisibly in the brain, and you do everything you can to avoid it because you have these flashbacks and they become the thing that shapes your life. And they shape my parents' life and they certainly shape mine. Why do you think death and grieving is so under-discussed? And for me, this very much came up, especially through COVID, when suddenly we couldn't escape death. And it led me to research like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and just like people who spent their life around people who were dying. And I realized how much fear I had around even just the word. And I was a prime avoider as well. So why do you think, to begin with, it's been this secret, but yet so a part of humanity? I mean, I think COVID has forced conversations about mortality and that people have talked about the possibility of dying in the way that, as you say, people had fear. And I think people's fear is a kind of magical thinking, which is if I think or talk about death, it might make it happen. So if if I just close my eyes and turn my attention away, a bit like my parents, then maybe it will happen to other people and it's not going to really touch me. But, you know, again like me and we everything has roots and that there are historical roots which was you know queen victoria was the poster woman for grief so in the victorian times you never talked about sex but everyone talked about death she wore mourning you know from the day prince albert died to the day she died and grief and memorial clothes became fashionable there were kind of warehouses in regent street and people had memor- you know memorial jewelry and all the kind of black armbands and black ribbons on doors. So death was very much part of life. It happened in the home. Everyone saw the body. There were these, have you ever seen those black and white photographs of Victorian families where there's a dead body in front of them and everyone around them, including all the sort of servants and things. But then the First World War, millions of people died. The bodies weren't repatriated and everybody was grieving and they were all traumatized. And they needed to kind of forget and procreate and move on. And then their children, my parents' generation, fought in the Second World War. And also medicine had become the new god. So science, Mm. you know, penicillin, death became hidden in hospitals. You never saw a dead body. And it was this kind of scientific fight against death, as if death itself is a failure. And that if you're doing well and you love each other, you're going to kind of live forever. Mm. And I think what in the last 10, 15 years, there has been a kind of undercurrent of death cafes, more and more people talking about it. And more, I think young people on Instagram and people like you on podcasts are leading the conversations. One of the big incentives for me in talking about this for over 30 years is that when people are frightened of death, when they then 
become bereaved, they are incredibly ignorant. They mm. haven't had the important conversations. They're more likely then to have regrets because they don't know what their parents wanted or didn't have the things that they wanted to say or say how much I love you. They And they don't know what they're feeling is normal. So they often feel like they're failing. So one of the sort of main things that people say when they come through my door and they're bereaved is, am I going mad? Because grief can feel like madness. And part of my job is to normalize that these extreme feelings are completely normal and force you to adapt to this new reality that the person has died, that grief is an adaptive process. And actually, it's the things that you do to avoid and block the grief that often do you harm over your lifetime, but also over generations. And when I've read your books, one of the leaving thoughts is how much I appreciate life by being able to face death. And they're so hopeful. And I can't wait to move on to discuss your app because it is a celebration of life within understanding and processing end of life. And so what made you want to suddenly say, okay, it's now time to bring this material in a different space? I mean, I did it with this company, Site UK, and both of us knew that people, when they're grieving, they access information through books and Google searches and or through their friends and family and or therapy. But the thing about all of those is that there are barriers to them and they're not actionable. You know, you think your friends and family are going to get fed up with you. Therapy is fantastic when it works. I mean, obviously I'm a therapist. I believe in it, but it's expensive. Mm. You can't always get the therapist you want and it takes time. So we wanted to create, it's a course. It's a 28 day course with 15 minute sessions of things that really give you a path and actions to actively address and adapt and grow through your grief and come to terms with your with your loss and find a way of living again and loving again. And I can't believe that the people who use it love it so much. I mean, it's had such amazing reviews. I mean, they make me cry. Mm. And, you know, there was a man last week that said, I've been grieving kind of desperately for three years and I've changed in 10 days using your app. It's like, oh, oh. my God. It's so lovely. I saw all of those messages. The the reviews have been phenomenal. And along with your course, you have 30 tools. It's highly kind of like packed full of stuff. And one of the tools is journaling. Why was it important for you to include journaling? Why is it important to journal during this process? I mean, it's very well evidence-based journaling. Part of it is when we're having a feeling it comes alive in our body. The emotion comes through our system and it goes into our minds. It's connected to our minds and it gives us a signal. And how we understand ourselves and what is going on by te- is by telling ourselves a story. If we don't tell ourselves a story, that signal can get kind of trapped and then you ruminate in this sort of feeling of terror or, or loss or sadness or fury. And so journaling puts words to the feeling and the signals and you begin to make sense of your narrative of what's happened and yourself and as you do that you incrementally adjust a little bit more to this reality that you didn't want and you didn't choose 
And it doesn't mean you have to write beautiful prose or even make sense, but just putting the words down, because grief is invisible, as I was saying, you get something out. And as you get something out, it lessens the pressure in your system and it helps balance you. And then as you balance, you kind of heal a little bit in that moment. And also, it's an amazing thing to have a journal to look back on, because you can think, I have been feeling like this forever. And then you kind of look back and you see you've actually made enormous progress in the last three months or two months or 10 days that you we don't feel the same every day. And we feel differently all the time, depending who we're with. And you can learn about yourself, about, you know, did I have an enormous supper with three bottles of wine last night? And then I woke up feeling like shit this morning <laughs> and I hate everybody and I'm alone and I got a headache and I don't want to get out of bed. And then you, you can help do the sums to what kind of is contributing to your mood. Yeah, I love that. It's such great data on yourself. And in session six and seven of the course, you guide people through anger and alternatively numbness you often feel when you're grieving. And so obviously this can feel strange for families when one person is showing no emotion like it appears and another is showing maybe the total opposite. Like, Why does the brain react in such different ways? I mean, we can feel angry and numb at the same time. You know, you can have lots of competing thoughts at the same time. But also the app can be used in a family to help a family understand because we have each of us has a tendency of what our response is in extremists. So some people get angry in extremists more than others and some people shut down. So I'm a shutter downer. So I go, I go absolutely cold. But another member of my family might get completely furious, as you're saying. But actually, by doing the app, you kind of recognize, again, that it's normal and you recognize your own responses and you recognize what those responses are telling you and how you may negotiate what they're telling you with how you kind of can process your grieving. This is why I really loved those uh, sessions in particular because just take it especially as a companion, you're supporting someone who's grieving to actually have the education that there are multiple ways that people process is such a great education that we are never taught. We're never taught how emotions react to different life changing events. I mean, you know, it should be in schools, right? That emotions are their information to, for us to respond to so that we are aware of what's going on. And I think basically what we're taught in schools is to shut down on your emotion, like don't be a pain. Right. <laughs> you know, just shut up and listen. You, you know, if you're looking for a kind of secret to negotiating your internal world with your external world, your emotions are your signalers. Mm. They're your infantrymen who are telling you this is going on and this is going on. Pay attention. What do you need? You're feeling sad. Okay, you're feeling sad. So what do you need when you're sad? Do you need a hug? Do you need a good cry? Do you need to listen to the music to make you cry because you feel a bit numb? Do you feel sad and angry? So maybe you can go and jump up and down outside and then come back and let yourself feel sad because the anger is getting in the way of your sadness. So it gives you the knowledge to release the emotions. And as you release the emotions, <sighs> you feel clearer. You know, like you always feel better after a cry. The best medicine. I love a good medicine. cry. <laughs> 
this kind of leads on to a session that you title coping with sadness. And I just really obviously love the use of the word coping because it reminds us that sadness doesn't need to be fought or pushed away. Um, And you write that sadness can be a helpful emotion. And this may sound odd, I guess, to call sadness helpful. So this kind of speaks to what you're talking about before, but why can sadness be helpful? And why do you often say pain is the agent of change? The kind of key message of sadness is remembering and honoring and missing the person that's died. It's like a longing, like I really miss you. You know, I feel so sad without you. And the task of mourning is facing the reality of the death. But of course, the love for that person never dies. The love goes on forever. And so in some ways, the sadness and the pain is a connection to the person that's died. And so you're you're expressing and releasing that feeling for them that you miss them so much. And that is your truth and your reality. And it kind of stops you feeling mad. And pain is the agent of change for all of those different feelings, whether it's numbness, anger, fury, sadness, is that, you know, pain is that thing tapping on your, on your heart, really, that something's up and you, you can't ignore your pain. And also pain is pathogenic. So it's in your body. You know, if you look at the neuroscience of a brain that is grieving, it looks the same as if you're putting a knife into someone. So Mm. it lights up the same neural pathways. You can't just have a cold shower and make it go away. You have to support yourself in it. So, I mean, I think my biggest message, both with the app, is it's the love and connection to others, including our relationship with ourselves, that supports us to heal when the person we love has died and so by expressing pain you need support of others and their love to support you to manage the pain and the sadness and the distress i've got some really exciting news my podcast partners platinum cbd have decided to offer the chance for not perfect listeners to try their cbd for free So all you need to do is pay for shipping. Super easy. So if you want to try Platinum CBD for free to help you sleep, manage stress or sore muscles, then all you have to do is visit coal-care.uk and the link will be in the show notes too. And choose between a 10 milliliter CBD oil in peppermint or unflavored or the CBD soft gel capsules. Add it to your basket and at checkout, add the code NOTPERFECTFREE. Get your free CBD while stocks last. For 30 years, you have supported thousands upon thousands of people through this process. And so there must be lots of trends and similarities that you come across. Or would you say that every single time it's different? But if there are similarities in those that cope with grieving, maybe in a slightly easier way, what are those common factors you see, which encourages you maybe to share with others who are struggling? If you've had a secure, loving childhood and you have secure, close, loving people around you in your life, you tend to manage the wind and the fierceness of grief with more robustness because you have stronger roots, you have more trust in yourself, you have more trust in life and in trust in others. 
and you don't already have those pre-existing fault lines that grief goes into and tears bigger holes in. So, you know, if you've had a very complex childhood with lots of losses and not very secure, loving parents, and you're, you know, you've suffered injuries from that, then every new injury you get plays into those fault lines and you have less and less robustness um, to deal with them. And so you're more likely to have complex grief. You're more likely to take much longer because it's your trust in life is already damaged. And then Mm. this bad thing happens to you and it's like, you don't have much hope. Hope is the alchemy that turns a life around. You need to believe that, at some point, you're going to be okay again, that you're going to live and love again, and that life is going to be worth living. And if you've had a lot of adverse difficulties, you have much less hope that that little flicker of a candle is almost out. And of course, you need support. And it may be that you can find your way through it. And there are epigenetic kind of genetic people who are just born more robust. So I mean, everybody is different. And what's so, I guess, brilliant going back to your app is if you have had maybe an insecure childhood, your app really addresses how you can rebuild relationship with self and rebuild that hope. And so even more gratitude for creating something so interactive because you do really like show the way forward, regardless of what your background is, to transform your life into something new and use the grieving process to do so. And you have a um, a session called Rebuilding Relationship with Self. What is that session really about? And what did you want to help people nourish and nurture during that? Your relationship with yourself is your primary relationship. And I think one of the cruel aspects of grief is that we often our kind of shitty committee, our critical voice is turned up. The volume is turned up. And so we could say to ourselves, you're making a fuss, you're being so useless, you're being pathetic. And so part of building your relationship with yourself is turning to yourself with as much love and self-compassion and empathy as you would somebody else. And so giving yourself that warmth and empathy that you really need when you're suffering. And then, you know, in the, as the sessions go on, you kind of, if you start with that, that's a really good place because as you begin to feel less critical of yourself and less chilly and sort of isolated, you do have more trust in yourself and then your behaviors with others tend to change. And then that, that builds a kind of positive cycle. How can people support themselves in staying psychologically healthy while going through your app, maybe reading your books, maybe going through the grieving process, but also grieving a loss in any sense of form, whether that be a relationship, a job, a grief of like moving countries. I mean, whatever that that loss is, how can, what do you advise people in staying psychologically healthy? I mean, as you said, so the app is for any loss, it's living losses as well as loss from brief and as all the ones that you mentioned I mean my eight pillars of strength which are in the app are really good for that in that you know your mind and your body are connected and so if you think of yourself as a physiological system that 
whatever you put into your body, like what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're drinking, whether you're moving or not moving, how much you're sleeping, all of that will affect your mood. So kind of being self-aware that moving your body shifts your mood. It lowers your stress levels. If you have a small little pocket of habits of exercise, giving yourself a treat, doing something that intentionally soothes you, journaling, spending a bit of time with a friend, you will definitely, within that little toolkit, feel better at the end of the day than staying home, hunkering down on your own, not moving, watching 15 Netflix episodes drinking coffee or all the stuff that turns your system and sugar and turns your system upside down and gives you great kind of leaps of highs and lows, you'll feel worse. I know. It's kind of annoying that it's so simple so in a way. Nice. Like it's like, <laughs> you're kidding me. You're just, I know. It's basic. Walking, yeah. I know it's so good for me, but it just seems so like difficult. And it is like back to basics is just so powerful. And I guess the, just the human body is actually quite basic in some ways. Well, the human body is naturally curative and adaptive. Mm. Modern life, it fucks it. Mm. Love it. <laughs> and also we have this sort of thing, like, why should I? I'm miserable. Why should I do something that is going to make me feel better? I somehow think I've got to do a behavior because I deserve to give myself this treat. And then I'm going to feel worse because I'm, I get into that negative mindset. And it, it feels like counterintuitive that actually you feel like shit. So do things that help you feel better. You know, it's like the paradoxical theory of grief. The paradox of grief is that by allowing yourself to feel the pain is how you heal. In the same way with in relation to yourself and your behaviors and how you spend your day, if you do the things that help you, you will feel better. Mm. Although it doesn't feel like it when you're doing them. Because it's slightly you want to kind of scream at the day like fuck you day (laughs) I'm not going to give you the time of day you can fuck off I'm miserable (laughs) I'm going to stay miserable (laughs) and you know I think there are times that that is helpful because it's just like you have a fuck off day but if that's your pattern you're going to feel a lot worse and then you're you're more likely to have complex grief and you know 15% of all psychological problems come from unresolved grief so you you kind of don't want to get into that end of the the spectrum yeah no that's really helpful and this leads me on to talking about how we can support and learn to support people who are grieving better because as we spoke on in this podcast we don't talk about the grieving process enough we don't talk about end of life enough when it happens to someone close sometimes we are so untrained in the conversation you don't know whether to say something is it going to make it worse you then end up saying nothing you don't even know how to sit there with someone's sadness do you try to create solutions to make it better do they just want you to listen it can be very complex how do you best advise people to support those who are grieving So the first thing is to kind of recognize that you can't fix it. You know, death is irreversible or that loss, you know, whether their partners left them or they would, you know, those things have happened. So the big first step is to acknowledge it. And you don't have to have some magic answer that is going to kind of turn everything around. All you have to say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And say their name. I'm so sorry that your husband left you. I'm so sorry that your father has died. I'm so sorry that you've got this awful cancer diagnosis. I just acknowledge it. Mm. 
don't try and say, well, I'm sure that, you know, science and technology is amazing now, or you're going to find another partner, or, you know, you've got your mum, all those awful expressions, like, you know, you had a good innings, all those things that people say, just, they feel like you're minimizing the loss. So acknowledgement is really important. The other big thing is listen. Listening is the secret weapon of communicating. Just say to people, talk to me, tell me, I want to know what happened. How are you feeling? You know, do you want to talk about it? So they are the experts on themselves and their grief. And if you show up and you can show up with flowers or lasagna or bottle of gin, whatever it is you want to show up with, but really you want to show up with your compassion and your warmth and your being and be alongside them. And you'll know if you're a really close friend or just a neighbor and you'll know the kind of level of intimacy somebody wants. But if you're a really close friend, show up for the long haul. Don't just do it for three months. Kind of remember the anniversaries. Remember to say, I was thinking about you and I was thinking about your dad and he died nine months ago. I was wondering about how you are, how's your family? You know, just remember, log it and bring it up. And it's people are frightened to bring it up. Somehow they're going to upset them. The people are upset already. Mm. You know, the worst thing has happened. This person has died or the, the living loss. So support them in it and connect to them. Show them your love in all the different ways that we show love. Love is the best medicine when we're grieving. In tiny little kindnesses on the tube. I saw someone who was crying on the tube and the, the, the person next door handed her a tissue. She, she cried with affection that she got a tissue. Mm. You know, these little tiny kindnesses really make a difference. It's so nice just to be reminded of that because you're right, they're already sad and that worry of making a mistake is, is such a ridiculous thought on, on behalf of the person you're trying to support. And if you can see from their face, you've really said something that's upset them, just say, oh my goodness, I've upset you. I'm so sorry. You know, just apologize. Don't leg it. What most people do is they say something awful and they think, oh my God, I've just got to get out of here. Then they feel much worse. And then they wake up at four in the morning with a pounding heart because they feel so embarrassed. They feel ashamed. It's so hard to go back and say, I'm sorry. They hope they're going, the other person's going to forget it. And then they worry that, you know, so just say it. Oh, my God, I just can't believe that came out of my mouth. In a kind of a more broad question, what is your spiritual view on what happens after we pass? It sort of links with what I said at the beginning. You know, I love the rituals of organized religion. So, you know, I was brought up um, CV and I love churches and that feeling of the footprints of time, of spirit and candles and prayer and people and a congregation coming together. And I love the ritual of marking important phases of life, christenings, weddings, funerals, blessings, all of those things. I don't really have a kind of organized religion faith in that I think when I die, I'm dead. And um, I'm get, I've asked my children to cremate me. But I, I think, I hope I'll live on in them through the love that we've shared. You know, there are sayings that my mom and dad have that I say to my children, they say to their children. And I love hearing those little sayings. And I hope there'll be versions of that and I'll live on through our love, yeah. Really, really, really love that perspective. Um, you are a mentor to so many. You've guided so many through some of the darkest times to their lightest times. Who mentors you and who has been your greatest teachers? 
I think my clients are my greatest teachers. You know, they teach me so much. When I think I'm really knowing stuff, they just <laughs> come and show me, no, you don't know it. Go back to, you know, 101 therapy. So that, and also they show me about courage and how you can go on and survive things that just feel unbearably difficult. So they give me a lot of inspiration and hope. So I mainly learn from them, but also, I have, she's retired now, but a wonderful supervisor, my first supervisor when I was training um, in my early 30s, called Penny Daintree. And she believed in me. We, When we were training, we used to have to take recordings of our counselling sessions and, and we had to transcribe them and play them to her. And I would just literally die. And I'd try and choose the bit that I made the least mistakes in. And of course, chose the one that had the most mistakes because that's what, you know, naturally I would do. And she was just so kind of warm, but also critical. And I really trusted her. Mm. And then recently, my penguin editor for my book, someone called Venetia Butterfield, who's younger than me, but she she mentored me as a writer. So she believed in me, encouraged me. Again, she's quite tough with me, but I really like the toughness because it means that when she says it's good I trust her and many people you know that I've met and read you know Carl Rogers who's a wonderful um, person said a theorist his books so I mean I learn all the time what continues to amaze you about human nature I think at the end of the day it is our capacity to love I think it is the thing that enables us to survive and is the thing that we live for that matters most and to be in relation and to really, you know, loving is a risky business. And people talk about loving as a soft skill. Like, oh, my God, it is not a soft skill. <laughs> it's a really bloody difficult thing to do. It's so hard mm. and so complicated. You know, where you love most, you hate most, mm. you're most you're at your worst, you're at your best. It's so complicated, but it is also the thing that matters most. I so, so agree with you. Love is like, in a way, so just like death, so misunderstood and terrifying. And obviously the closest, I guess, thing to grief too. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I mean, I've been married 42 years, so I love him most and I risk most and I'm my most vulnerable with him, but also, like, fuck, if he, he leaves me, then I am completely done. So it is super risky. And how do you manage and navigate love? By daring and being mm. honest and crying. I, I, when I'm always upset with him in a restaurant, public places, that roller goes down well. <laughs> I save it up to quite quiet restaurants. <laughs> It's kind of, you know, we gave a weekend away and we've been really busy. And then finally we're on our own. We're in the middle of a quite a big restaurant in Paris. <laughs> and there I am having, you know, bursting into tears. It's like, oh my God. And the waiters come and look at you and they give you napkins. <laughs> and be affectionate. Just be nice. I mean, I honestly think kindness really is a big part of, I think that's a very underrated part of being loving. <laughs> this is probably a bit too personal, but we lose things the whole time. And one of the sweet things 
we now do because we lose things. We help each other find stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I've lo- I lost my Kindle last night. There, he was looking under the bed for my Kindle, and that is a little act of kindness when you're quite tired and quite kind of you know wanting to get into bed. That is a sweet act of affection that's really worth quite a lot. Although it's tiny, it took one second, and he, he found my Kindle actually. <laughs> <laughs> he found the Kindle. Yeah, I, I think this is such a lovely note to to finish on of the celebrating the small acts of kindness and um and really really I want to honor the huge act of kindness that you have created this wonderful digital companion that has is already helping so many and um and I can't wait for everyone who listens to be able to now know about it or discover it or maybe you're using it already but how can people find you um because your Instagram is great absolutely brilliant you go live she uh, Julia does amazing interviews regularly um so where's the best place to find you um to find me is at julia samuel mbe on on instagram um i'm on facebook i have a website i don't think anyone goes on it but it's sort of there (laughs) (laughs) www.juliasamuel.co.uk but the best place to find me i do yeah i do a lot on instagram so i do posts about mental health and about grief every monday i do top tips about Last Monday, I did boundaries. Next Monday, I'm doing expectations. Like, I think people's expectations, like being told that, you know, go for the moon and you'll hit the stars, I think it's bonkers. You're not going to get to the bloody moon. Anyhow, so that's why I'm going to talk about top tips on Monday. Right. And I also find that expectations, going back to love, in relationships, expecting that someone is going to be so perfect and when they're not, it's a shock. I mean, this has been my reality. I'm like, oh, maybe maybe this is actually fantastical, wishful, magical thinking. Have you? I mean, in this two show pass, I do a whole chapter on love, and all the research shows that lifelong love relationships are the thing that matter most in your life. But also, finding your soulmate doesn't exist. Mm. Like it's the couple that make the relationship, who commit to the relationship, who they can make it work for them are the ones that have the successful relationships. So that you, in the end, enjoy the things that you kind of thought you'd leave them for because you've kind of accepted them and then you grow with like being known. I think one of the definitions of love is like being known as you know yourself. You're not kind of pretending I'm this fabulous version. And being loved for all of who you are with your annoyances, your sweetness, your funniness, your lovingness and your bloody mindedness that your love for all of it what would you say just one last question because it's just yeah. so interesting what would you say <laughs> the three or two qualities you really encourage people to look for rather than maybe the qualities that society tells us to look for one of the things to kind of notice is who am I when I'm with this person like what am I like am I putting on a show do I feel more alive is it just sex? No, I mean, sex is sex is the thing that you get into a relationship. It's the thing that leads you there. So, you know, you can't ignore being sexually attracted to someone. But what else is there? And I think like you want to know more. You're curious about who am I going to be with this person and who's he going to be with me or she? You know, what, what life can we make together? And they, I mean, there's this in my book, it's Anne Barlow did these 10 questions of what uh, answer to questions of what can make committed relationships work. And basically, it's do we have the same beliefs? 
Do we help each other when we're low? Are we friends with each other? And so it's those 10 questions. Have a look. Perfect. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Julia. This has been amazing. A little bit of tip at the end about love. <laughs> we all always great note to finish on. But thank you. This has been brilliant. I've loved it, Poppy. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been really fun. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.